0: Well, ladies, when we think of Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, we picture scenes like these pictured on the screen. Fields that have been turned up and turned over with, with, by those uh, horse-drawn plows. We think about silos that are standing erect by those pristine white barns. We think about fields that are green with ripening corn. And, and then we picture men wearing overhauls and those big sun hats. It's living history in the 21st century, and it really prompts many of us when we see scenes like that to want to visit Amish country and see it in person for ourselves. And many of you have taken that trip and can tell us how much you enjoyed it. Well, as we look at pictures like this, it stirs up just a sense of wholesome goodness and and calmness and peace and tranquility. But on October 2nd of 2006, Lancaster County was filled with anything but wholesome goodness and calm. It it wasn't calm. It wasn't tranquil. It wasn't peaceful. Charles C. Roberts walked into a one-room Amish schoolhouse in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, with three guns, and he shot ten little Amish girls. Five of them were killed, and he killed himself. He and his wife had lost their first child in 1997, that little baby girl was born three months early, and she only lived 20 minutes. Based upon the suicide note left behind, his wife said, in some way he felt like he was getting back to the Lord for the loss that we had sustained. Perhaps you remember the news report from that sad day and that heinous, shocking crime. We responded, as, as we most likely have responded to every school shooting After that, and the school shootings that we heard about before that, with sadness and and horror and, and outrage, those, of course, are expected human responses, not just from us as strangers and fellow citizens absorbing the news, but certainly it's what we would expect from the families of the victims who lost five precious, innocent little girls. But what was not expected What was surprising was the actual response from those in the Amish community. You see, they released forgiveness. They attended the funeral of Charles C. Roberts, and they reached out to comfort his widow and his parents. I even read in one news report that they purposely put themselves between the family members of Charles C. Roberts and the cameras, even though they did not want to be photographed themselves. They wanted to to protect this family from being photographed. And they would turn their back to the cameras and try to shelter this family from being photographed. That is love and forgiveness being lived out. Forgiveness is powerful, it is supernatural. And ladies, forgiveness is what is expected from those who follow Jesus Christ. Forgiveness is hard. It's hard today in the 21st century, and it was just as hard in the 1st century. Forgiveness was the subject of the parable of the unmerciful servant in Matthew 18. I want to invite you to stand with me now in honor of God's word as we read these words from our Lord Jesus Christ on the subject of forgiveness. I'm reading from Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 23, and reading through verse 35. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore... The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out he, found out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the, servants, when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat you, each of you, unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Ladies, thank you for standing in honor of God's holy word. You may be seated. Would you just pray with me as we begin? Lord Jesus, I pray today that this would not just be an academic study where we learn new information and take notes and and have head knowledge. But Holy Spirit, we pray that you would do some heart surgery on us today, that you would penetrate down to the very depths, you would take your holy scapel and reveal that which may have been stuffed and hidden maybe for many, many years. God, we just invite you to have your way with us. We pray that you would use this very hard and very difficult teaching to convict us. Father, we know that um, that you know all things, and so Holy Spirit, we just invite you to reveal to us today who is it that we need to forgive. And whoever that name that bubbles up, that begins to flash across the marquee of our minds, we may know already who it is, we may be surprised that who it is that pops up, but whoever that person is, whatever situation you take us back to, Father God Almighty, would you give us the courage to deal with that? Would you give us your love and your forgiveness for that person? And would you use today's teaching to let us understand more deeply, more thoroughly, what forgiveness really means and what it means to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this teaching, of course, was offered up, the reason Jesus gave this parable, it was offered in response to the question that Peter asked in verse 21. And Peter said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Well, if you've ever watched the old TV show, Leave it to Beaver, I think Peter was a little Eddie Haskell-ish in his response, and, and it's only those of us that have gray hair or have some gray under whatever color of L'Oreal is covering up our roots uh, that would understand who Eddie Haskell is, but um, the Jewish Talmud did call for forgiveness three times, so Peter uh, was believing he was being, oh, so very magnanimous in suggesting seven times. See, he doubled the expected three and then just added in one more for good measure. So he was probably congratulating himself. His question also suggests just a little bit of pride in the way he framed it. Because note that he didn't ask, how many times should my brother forgive me? But he asked, how many times shall I forgive my brother? So I wonder if Peter was somehow thinking that he would never be the sinner, but only the one sinned against. Uh, Well, before we get too harsh in our evaluation of Peter, let's remind ourselves that he so often is the disciple that most of us identify with most. Jesus blows him away with his answer. Oh, no, no, Peter. No, Peter. Not seven times. Seventy-seven times. Jesus, of course, is speaking in hyperbole because the point here is, There is no limit on forgiveness. It is unlimited. And as recipients of forgiveness both from God and from others, you and I um, should be profoundly grateful that there is no limit. But when we are called upon to release forgiveness, sometimes we are tempted to add those limits. We are tempted to draw our line in the sand and say, Enough is enough. Well, my friend Mr. Wearsby points out that by the time you forgive someone 77 times, you have formed a forgiving habit. And therefore, you're no longer concerned with keeping track, so the numbers really cease to matter. What we know is that Jesus is teaching that forgiveness should be unlimited. Jesus expounds on his answer with the parable of the unmerciful servant as he taught Peter then, and by extension, us today, about this very challenging and difficult topic of forgiveness. Let's look at an overview as we begin to unpack the teaching of our Lord. So first of all, I want to address what this parable is not. This parable is not about salvation. The forgiveness Jesus is talking about in this parable is not the forgiveness that comes from God to a lost sinner in need of redemption. This is a teaching for believers, and it is addressing the relationship between brothers and sisters in the family of God. So grasping and taking hold of this truth that Jesus has for us and choosing to walk it out will refine us. It will sanctify us. It will grow us up spiritually. Ladies, again, it's a very hard teaching, but this is one that if we will take it to heart will mature us. Before we jump in and unpack the horizontal forgiveness that Jesus is challenging us in this parable to release to one another, we need to first be reminded of the forgiveness that brought us into the family of God, the vertical forgiveness that came down from heaven in the person of Jesus Christ. If you have given your life to Christ, then you would identify yourself as a Christian. You have been forgiven. And I want you to know what you already know, remind you that your destiny for eternity is assured. Nothing can ever change that. That will not be revoked. Without the vertical relationship, the horizontal relationship that we're called to in this parable would be impossible. Because forgiveness flows down and then out. It's only by acknowledging that we have been forgiven that we are able to forgive Romans 8, 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. If Beverly were here, this would be the place that she'd be yelling amen from the back. So, somebody say amen since she's not here. Aren't we grateful that we have been set free from the law of sin and death? You are free. You are no longer condemned, Christian sister. Your identity in Christ cannot be changed. God loves you. Nothing can change that. For I am convinced, Paul wrote in Romans, that neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing else in all creation, well, that includes you. You are a part of creation. You cannot separate yourself by your behavior from the love of God. You are sealed as his for eternity, and nothing can change that. So we're not talking about losing our salvation here, but our conversion does usher in a new era for us to grow and change. Whether it began as a child or as an adult, your moment of conversion ends your life as being a slave to sin and it begins a life of sanctification, a time of growing in holiness and that time will never end until you step out of this life and into heaven. Until your death you are in a continual t- time of growth and change and sanctification. It- it's a time that as we mature in Christ Every day we are more abandoned to Christ. We are more given over to him. We continue to die to ourselves so that we can live for him. And as we yield to him and as we die to ourselves, we, keep, we become transformed. We keep in step with the spirit. We yield to God's way over the desires of our flesh. I love what Paul called it in Philippians 2, working out our salvation. And wow, sometimes hard teachings like this really do feel like a workout. Perhaps the hardest assignment to work out is the call to forgive others. Jesus shared the parable, of the unmerciful servant, to teach us how vitally important it is to forgive one another. In this parable, we have three key characters, the king, servant number one, and servant number two. The king, of course, represents God Almighty, and in this story that Jesus used to unpack his teaching on forgiveness, the the king decides to settle up accounts, and the first servant that he goes to owes him 10,000 talents. Now, the commentators that I read differed. They all offered varying degrees of exactly how much this would represent, but generally, the the numbers that I read were between 10 and 15 million dollars. Some even suggested a billion dollars. So clearly an amount that would be impossible to repay. The custom in those days was to throw a, a debtor and his family into debtor's prison until it could be repaid. And you know, I was thinking about that. Given our collective debt in America in the 21st century, I guess if we re-instituted debtor's prison, most of America would be in prison today, I suppose. But anyway, as, as the king goes to servant number one, servant number one falls to his knees. He begs for forgiveness. And he makes a promise that most likely he could never keep when he says, I'll pay back everything. And so the king has pity, and he cancels that whole debt, the millions of dollars, and he lets him go free. Rather than selling him and his possessions and his wife and his children into slavery, he simply lets them go free. Did you notice that the king did more than the servant even asked? He was merciful, and he was generous. And then and the group who's, who's, that I'm in on today, Uh, One woman said that the king must clearly be very, very wealthy if he could absorb that much debt and have no ramifications. And, And I loved what another woman said. She said, clearly this king cares more about that man than he cares about the money. This is a king who is loving and generous and merciful, clearly representing God Almighty. And so this debtor who owed an amount that he could never pay, millions of dollars, turns right around... And he puts on his creditor hat now, and he goes after servant number two. Now, servant number two owes servant number one. Again, estimates vary by the commentators, but let's say in modern-day numbers, it's about $20. No no matter what number we put on it, the difference is so extreme. Number one owes millions, and instead of celebrating his freedom from that debt, He goes out and demands payment for such a small, trifling amount. It's ludicrous. It's unbelievable. It's shocking. It's hypocritical. And and, and it's interesting to note that servant number two, almost verbatim, says to servant number one the words that number one had just uttered to the king, Be patient with me, please. I'll pay you back. But unlike the merciful, loving, generous, kind king, servant number one has no mercy. He has no compassion, and he has number two thrown into prison until he can pay. Word gets back to the king, who promptly revokes the get-out-of-jail-free card, and servant number one is turned over to the jailers, and he's going to face torment because of his unforgiveness. He put himself in prison because of his unforgiving heart. His unforgiveness of his fellow servant compromised his relationship with the king. So today I want to spend the bulk of our time talking about 10 takeaway truths about the subject of forgiveness, and may God use this teaching to convict me and all of us to the core about what <laughs> forgiveness really means and this challenging topic of what it could look like to live it out. So let's just jump into forgiveness truth number one, and that is that the amount God has forgiven me will always exceed the amount I am called upon to forgive others. This realization will help keep what I am called to do in perspective. It will keep me humble. It will keep me grateful. And so before we even begin to focus on that eyelash in our sister's eye, we have to acknowledge the two before that's protruding out of our own ladies. We will never be asked to forgive anyone else more than what God has already forgiven us. Forgiveness truth number two. Forgiveness always flows down. We have to go to the cross every single day. Keeping vertical first, going to Jesus and and focusing on this vertical relationship first, that's what helps us to make the horizontal relationship work. If we are struggling to forgive a sister or a brother in Christ, we most likely have interrupted the flow of communication from our Heavenly Father. If we are abiding in Him, if we are yielding to the leading of the Spirit, if we are receiving the outpouring of His grace and His love and His mercy and His forgiveness to us, then that grace and love and mercy and forgiveness that flows down will just very naturally flow on out. If we keep the vertical valve flow going, then, then the horizontal flow should result. A horizontal relationship problem might be a symptom of the disease that's really a vertical problem. If our relationship with Jesus is strong, then our relationship with others will be strengthened. Forgiveness truth number three, unforgiveness robs me of my freedom. When I release forgiveness, it blesses others. We know that. But it also blesses me when I release it. And when I refuse to release forgiveness... I rob myself of my freedom. Like servant number one, the the debtor creditor who ended up a prisoner, we place ourselves in prison when we stubbornly refuse to release forgiveness. When we choose to forgive, we're no longer weighed down by hanging around all that resentment and bitterness and anger. You know, I think that the thing that's amazing is sometimes we believe that we're hurting or punishing the one who has hurt us, the one that we refuse to forgive. But the person that we punish and hurt most is ourselves. We put ourselves in prison. We hinder our growth and our maturity in Christ when we harbor unforgiveness. And that is its own form of torture and punishment. Do yourself a favor and choose the way of forgiveness. Number four, forgiveness is an act of obedience. It is a choice. It's not necessarily a feeling. Sometimes, ladies, we have to know what is right and walk out doing what is right by an act of our will, and then eventually it'll feel right. Eventually our emotions will catch up. I, I like to say emotions should be the caboose on the train, not the engine that drives the train. We throw the emotions in the back, we put on our big girl pants, we, we drive that train and go where God is telling us, and then eventually it will feel right. Know what is right, do what is right, eventually it will feel right. Forgiveness is a woman of God decision. It's not held back by a little girl emotion Colossians 3.13 tells us, Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds a lot like a command to me and not a suggestion. We are commanded to forgive one another. Now, that's a hard command, but it's one that as women of God we are called to obey. Number five, forgiveness is a powerful testimony. It testifies to the power of Christ to an unbelieving world. And ladies, that also means that just the opposite is true. While unforgiveness damages our testimony for Christ, forgiveness is a powerful testimony to the power of Christ, but unforgiveness, unforgiveness damages our testimony. Tertullian, who you may have heard about, that's an an old name in church history. He lived from about AD 160 to 220. He was born into a pagan family, but converted to Christianity and went on to become one of the greatest early church theologians. He was a priest, he was an apologist. He wrote extensively arguing that the Christian life as presented in Scripture and practiced by the church was far superior from a moral standpoint to the pagan beliefs of the day. He imagined pagans looking on at Christians and saying this, Look how they love one another, for they themselves, the pagans, hate one another, and how they're ready to die for each other, for they themselves are readier to kill each other. Part of loving each other well includes forgiving each other, and we must remember that the pagans of our day are watching, just as the pagans in Tertullian's day were watching. They, they're watching us just as much today as they were then. And our love and forgiveness can be a, tar- a powerful testimony to a world that desperately needs to know Jesus. But when we behave in a way that is inappropriate, when we backbite and criticize and refuse to refuse to forgive one another... What does that say to those who need to know Jesus? It should, our behavior should stand in sharp contrast to the way of the world. It's easy to hold a grudge. It's easy to be angry. It's easy to be bitter. That's as natural as the law of gravity, that when you drop something, it falls. To, to err is human. It is normal. That's the human response. It's only through God. and through the power of the Holy Spirit, that we're able to walk this out. Let's be mindful that our lives may be the only Bible that other people read. They are looking at us as what a Christian Christian looks like, and and, and they're judging Christ by, by who we are. When we take the name Christian, it includes the name Christ. People are judging our Lord by our behavior. That's a sobering reality for me, and I hope it is for you. Number six, forgiveness can be used to restore our guilty sister. Galatians 6 1, and we looked at this in our daily questions this week. Restore one another in a spirit of gentleness. To choose to forgive is to choose to be gentle and loving, and it's the way of restoration. Do you realize that, that our forgiveness can be an encouragement to the Christian sister or perhaps brother? Who, who needs to own their own sin and to grow in maturity. But us going to that person in gentleness and relieving, releasing forgiveness can help restore that person. Now, if we go with the attitude that I'm just gonna get you told and I'm gonna emotionally vomit all over you and I'm gonna tell you what's what and tell you why you are to me and made me mad, well, there's there's no hope of restoration in that kind of an attitude. You know you're ready to go and have that difficult conversation. When you might be rather go have a root canal that afternoon, when when you're going with tears in in your eyes and just an ache in your heart, but knowing that you are compelled to go, knowing that it's not just for you that you're going, but it's for the benefit of that Christian sister. When we withhold forgiveness, we condemn our Christian sister. Condemnation and unforgiveness separates us and divides us, but reconciliation and forgiveness unites us. Which do you think pleases and glorifies God, and which makes the evil one celebrate? When we go to a Christian sister in gentleness with the hope of restoration and prayed up and prepared, God may be using you to restore her, to persuade her to own her sin, to help restore her. It may be for her benefit that you go, instead of just cutting her off and ignoring that situation. You know, the Laura in me wants to nurse that wound, wants to be angry and, re- and replay that scene and, and remind me why I'm mad and why I have the right to be mad. But the God in me calls me to die to Laura and to be conformed to his image. I, don't, I no longer have the right to do what I want because I am his daughter. I am called and compelled by God Almighty to die to myself, to let go of those emotions and even my right to be right. Romans 12:1 says, I urge, therefore, I urge you brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do you see that? When we die to ourselves, when I die to the Laura in me that wants to hold on to that mad and nurse that anger, then I am choosing to be a living sacrifice. I'm choosing to die to myself. And that is worship. That is why we were created, to bring God glory, to worship him. Forgiveness is hard. Forgiveness is not easy. Forgiveness grows us up. It is dying to ourselves and being conformed to his image. Number seven, forgiveness can be humanly impossible, or maybe it is humanly impossible. We say, I can't forgive, and that would be correct. When someone says, I just can't forgive him, I just can't forgive her, then we can just agree with them, you're right, we can't. It's impossible on our own. The only way forgiveness becomes possible is through the power of the Holy Spirit. We die to ourselves, and we allow him to lead. We ask God for his love to help us. Many of you may have read at some point in your life, the book The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom. I read this years ago, and during the first couple of weeks of February, I reread this delightful, amazing story. Some of you know Corey's story. She and her family were watchmakers. They had a little business in, in Holland during World War II when the Nazis invaded. They were under German occupation. They were followers of Jesus Christ. She and her older sister, Betsy, were unmarried sisters in their 50s, and their elderly father, they worked with him. And so during that time of the Germans becoming increasingly oppressive and the lives of Jews becoming endangered, they stepped up, these normal, everyday people, and began to help Jewish friends. And they provided safety, and the Lord just opened doors. They had no training in, in this type of work, but they, they ended up just walking through the doors that God opened, finding ration cards to get food. They had a secret room behind a hidden wall, and they were able to get people out. They helped hundreds of people survive through the Jewish Holocaust. Well, eventually, they were caught, and they were sentenced to a concentration camp. Corey was the only one who survived. Her father and her sister both died in concentration camps. After the war, she did some teaching on forgiveness. And I want to read you one passage that I found particularly sobering and amazing. And I'm just astounded at how the Lord brought this to mind and brought it before me during the week that I was going to be teaching this. So listen along as I read Corey's account. This is after the war, and she's been teaching. It was at a church service in Munich that I saw him the former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center at Ravensbrück. Now, Ravensbrück was a concentration camp where she and her sister were processed in, and when they went into that shower room, I'm sure that you know that they were stripped down and robbed of their dignity, and soldiers were looking on And as they went in there. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time, and suddenly it was all there the room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, Betsy's pain-blanched face. So at that concentration camp, they were nearly starved. They were beaten, they were abused, they were mocked, they lost their dignity. Uh, There there wasn't enough food. It was was terrible, atrocious circumstances. We know that. And now she's come face-to-face with this man who was one of the jailers at that camp. He came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming, and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, he said, to think that, as you say, he has washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine, and I, who had preached so often the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed. Forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. And as I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him. While into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so, Corey says, and so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with the command, the love itself. We can say I can't forgive. We can stand steadfast. But whoever it is that you are called to forgive, I dare say it's not anyone that has ever forced you at gunpoint to strip down, robbed you of your dignity, led you half-starved to death, and... Saul, and where you had to see your sister and your father die. The atrocities that this woman lived through. And then to come to that place of coming face to face with this man. It's just so real. And to hear Corey say, I couldn't forgive him. But I prayed and I asked God to give me his forgiveness. Ladies, forgiveness is indeed impossible on our own. We can't do it. There's nothing in us that is capable of doing that but it is supernaturally possible with the power of the Holy Spirit. When we cannot forgive, when we are given a hard assignment that we cannot fulfill, we must ask God as Corey did. We must ask him to give us his forgiveness and his love for this person who has hurt us. And God, who is ever faithful, always equips us for what he calls us to do. Number eight. Asking for forgiveness is good practice for releasing forgiveness. Are your accounts settled? Have you checked in with the Lord to see if there is anyone you need to seek forgiveness from? We're focusing on releasing forgiveness to others, but perhaps we need to also be convicted if there is someone we need to seek out and ask to forgive us. You know, we've already looked at one verse from Romans 12, but here's another challenge from that same powerful chapter. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. We do our part. We keep short accounts. We confess. We ask for forgiveness. We do our best to live at peace. And that's all we can do. Owning it when we mess up, asking the forgiveness of others will keep us humble and keep us prepared to release forgiveness to others when they come to us. Do we quickly judge others? Do we quickly criticize their behavior and demand perfection while we ourselves know that we are imperfect and we fall far short? Owning our sin first will keep us sufficiently humble to be ready to release forgiveness to others. Number nine, unforgiveness breaks my fellowship with God. Do we ever, I wonder, think deeply about the words that we pray when we recite the Lord's Prayer. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you most likely memorized the Lord's Prayer as a little girl and have said it hundreds if not thousands of times since then. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Do we really want to ask God to only forgive us in proportion to the forgiveness we have released to others? Because isn't that what we're praying here? That's the behavior of servant number one in our parable. And we see what happened to him. It's called the Lord's Prayer because it is Jesus teaching us how to pray. These words are in red if you have a red-letter edition of the Bible. So, ladies, I want to ask you, do we mean what we pray? We often say to people, do you mean what you say? I want to ask all of us, including myself, do I mean what I pray? I think we need to consider that if our relationship with God feels distant or hindered or stifled, or, or if, if we feel like it's been interrupted and, and I just don't feel close to God, might we be harboring unforgiveness towards a brother or sister in Christ? Because, you see, I don't think that we can hold fast to this grudge and this anger and this unforgiveness and simultaneously hold fast to God. We need to let go of that so that we can be all in in our relationship with the Lord and hold fast to him. If any clarification was necessary, Jesus went on to add these words in verses 14 and 15 in Matthew chapter 6 after the Lord's Prayer. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. As Christians who have been redeemed by Jesus, we can hinder our relationship with him when we harbor unforgiveness in the body of Christ. Ladies, I hope you see that this is serious business. We should read these words very soberly and very respectfully, and they should convict us to our hearts. Jesus said in the words of this parable, we need to forgive our brother from the heart. He says here that that we have to forgive others so that our sins will be forgiven. Number 10, forgiveness does not hinge on the other person asking. You know, sometimes we might give ourselves a pass saying, well, if she asks, then I'll forgive. But last I checked, she wasn't darkening my door to come and own it and apologize to me. Well, that may seem rational, but there's no place to really back that up. And find out, I, I thought of two examples in scripture that refute that claim. First of all is Stephen. You remember Stephen's story at the end of Acts chapter 7. Even as the Jews, it says, were gnashing their their teeth and running at him with anger and carrying those rocks and and then pelting him, hitting him repeatedly with those stones until he was bludgeoned to death. As Stephen died and, and uttered his last breath, he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And then, of course, the example of our Lord Jesus on the cross. One of his last words uttered in Luke twenty three thirty four, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In neither of those situations was forgiveness asked for, and yet it was released. Therefore, there's no reason for us to hold back, waiting for that other person to ask before you choose to forgive. Sometimes it's not even necessary for you to go to that person and let them know that you have forgiven them. It's, depending on the situation, that can hurt, or hinder the relationship more than it can help. But you will know, and God will know. Well, after unpacking these ten truths about forgiveness, we need to take this very seriously. We need to consider that we are not to stay as little babies in Christ, but to grow up and to work out our salvation because the woman of God forgives, and she forgives because she has been forgiven. Let's agree with that statement, not just in our heads, but with our actions and with our hearts and with our behavior. And as we think about this truth and walking this out and choosing to walk that out when we leave here, here are some probing questions to consider as we invite God to mess with us when it comes to this forgiveness business and ask him to enable us to respond to this hard teaching, not as little girls of God, but as grown-up women of God. So here's some hard questions to ask. Number one, have you locked yourself up over $20 when your debt was $15 million? Well, that's what servant number one did. He forfeited the kindness and grace and mercy and compassion of the king and by his sinful choice made himself a prisoner over $20. Number two, are you ready to mean what you pray? Because the Lord's Prayer says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I pray that none of us will ever, ever again recite the Lord's Prayer without being convicted of who we need to forgive. And number three, would you ask God to give you his love for the person that you need to forgive? That's the takeaway from Corey Tenboom, a woman of God that we can all look forward to meeting in heaven. Isn't that great to think about heaven? All the people that we will meet there, the great conversations that will not be limited by time, Are you and I ready to do some forgiving? Because verse 35 at the end of this parable challenges us to forgive from the heart. From the heart means not just an outward professing with our mouth, but all the way down to the marrow here, ladies, all the way down to the heart. So I want to be clear on what forgiving from the heart might look like. And for that, I'm looking back to 17th century Puritan preacher Thomas Watson. He had this to say about forgiveness, and this is timeless truth. Watson lived from 1620 to 1686. His definition of forgiveness is timeless. He says this, forgiveness is resisting revenge. It is not returning evil for evil. It is wishing the one who has offended us well. It is grieving at their calamities. You know, it's easy to celebrate when bad things happen to people that have done bad things to us. It is praying for their welfare. It is seeking reconciliation so far as it depends on you. And then finally, coming to their aid in distress. More than just moving from a place of negativity to a place of neutrality, we might congratulate ourselves. Well, I don't wish them. Ill anymore. I, 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 don't, I don't think bad thoughts about him. I'm just going to choose to be neutral where they're concerned. I'm just not going to think about him at all. But these seven challenges when lived out say that's not good enough. It's not good enough just to not be negative or even come to the place of being neutral. If we truly walk out these seven truths, we will not only reconcile and restore the relationship, but that relationship will actually be strengthened and grow. That is is the power of forgiveness. That's the power of forgiveness that comes from the heart. Are you ready to release it because you have received it? Many of you are familiar with Mr. Rogers and his neighborhood. I I flew out of town last week without a book, and I I can't stand to be without a book, so I opened up my library app to see what was available, and Kindness of Wonder popped up, so I started reading this book while I was in Nashville last week. And I learned some things about Mr. Rogers that I didn't know. What what many of you may not know is that he he was, in addition to being this TV personality who loved children and and ministered to four decades of children, he was an ordained minister. While, While in seminary, Dr. William Orr, professor of Christian theology, had a profound impact on Mr. Rogers. And one day, Fred asked Dr. Orr about the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. He had sung it in church uh, the week before, and there was one verse in the lyrics that just kept coming back to the forefront of his mind, and that verse reminds us that we can stand firm without worry about the evil one, and and that verse is this, the prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him, his rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure, one little word shall fail him. And so Fred asked his mentor, Dr. Orr, what is that one little word that can wipe out evil? And without even hesitating, Dr. Orr responded, Fred, it's forgiveness. The only thing that evil cannot stand is forgiveness. It simply disintegrates in the presence of forgiveness. So surely, ladies, there is no greater manifestation of love than the releasing of forgiveness. The mother of Charles C. Roberts, the man who took the lives of those five little Amish girls, would later recall a powerful, almost unbelievable moment at the funeral for her son. She and her husband were approached by an Amish mother and father who had lost not one but two daughters in that tragedy. Charles Roberts' mother said this, For the mother and father who had lost not just one, but two daughters at the hand of our son to come up and be the first ones to greet us. Wow. Is there anything in this life that we should not forgive? I ended last week's teaching, ladies, with a challenge. I challenge you to ask God to bring to mind who it is that you might need to forgive. And in light of this week's teaching on forgiveness, I'm leaving you with yet another challenge, and that is to choose to release that forgiveness to lay it down, to let it go, to ask God to give you his love and forgiveness for that person, to release yourself from the prison of unforgiveness. And then also consider maybe setting up a, a coffee conversation. Possibly. Set it up an appointment with that person to begin that process of reconciliation with your Christian sister or possibly your Christian brother in Christ. I want to tell you that this isn't just something that I'm Dishing up, as is often the case with my teaching, the Lord makes me eat what I serve. So I am being dealt with on this very hard topic as well. Well, because of the, the sobering and the serious nature of this topic, I thought that some of you might really feel the need to pray with someone or just kind of talk this through with someone. Um, and so I've, I've asked some of you to consider if you might be a woman who feels very comfortable of course is very trustworthy. What happens here at Bible study stays at Bible study as far as the things we share in confidence. But if you would feel comfortable praying with another woman who might just want to talk this out with someone and have someone pray with her. So if you are a woman who feels comfortable praying with someone, and I'm hoping some of you small group leaders would fall into that category, but also some other mature women of God that I see in this room, would you please get up now and just walk off to the wings on the side of the room so that the women who might want to pray with someone can identify who you are. Go ahead and just step there now and be waiting and available for a Christian sister who might need someone to pray with her. Because ladies, I'm convinced that more than any of these other spiritual disciplines in our lives, that forgiveness, when it is released by followers of Jesus Christ, it has the potential to profoundly transform us and grow us up and be a powerful testimony to a world that desperately needs him. When we... Those that we need to forgive in the body of Christ will benefit. Those outside the body of Christ will benefit, and we will benefit. This teaching, when it's taken seriously, can ripple out and literally change the world that is looking on. Uh, let's, let's pray now, and let's seriously invite God to have his way with us. Father God Almighty, the call to forgive is such a, it's such a difficult thing. And there are women in this room today that are wrestling with this. Father, the woman that bubbles up across our minds when we think about the call to forgive, this is so hard. We've held onto this for so long. So Holy Spirit, we just invite you, we beg you, we ask you to help us lay it down. Like Corey, who, who stood had such a hard time lifting her hand to extend it in fellowship and love and forgiveness to that SS soldier. We sometimes feel the same challenge. We can identify with that. But Lord Jesus, we want to grow up. We want to be released from prison. I pray that one of these ten truths has so resonated in our hearts and our minds that it's revolutionary, that it changes how we look at forgiveness, and it lets us see how grateful we are to be forgiven, that we just feel compelled to go and release forgiveness. Lord, would you use this teaching in a mighty, powerful way? Take it, challenge us, and use it in a way that exceeds our highest hopes and expectations. Lord, would you do exceedingly and abundantly more than we can ask or imagine? Would you give us the willingness to be willing to release forgiveness and to follow you in obedience on this very hard teaching? Father, give us your love, give us your forgiveness for that person that has so hurt us, and let us walk this out in obedience for our good, but ultimately for your glory, because that's why we're here. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, ladies, for being here. I pray that you'll take this very hard teaching to heart. And now there are ladies available to pray with you, so please go and meet with them.